0: Hello listeners, this is Rethink Retail's Editor-in-Chief, Julia Hare. Our team was just in Vegas for Shop Talk US, and they had an absolutely wonderful time at the conference. A bit of housekeeping, be sure to follow Rethink Retail on LinkedIn, Twitter, and other social media as we'll be releasing our post-show Shop Talk coverage for you starting this week. This episode is guest hosted by Rethink Retail top influencer and Valtech's Executive Vice President, Shannon Ryan. He's joined by Lush Cosmetics, a brand we all know and love, Senior Manager Sandra Byrne. Take a listen.
1: Hello, everyone. Today, we're kicking off another episode of Rethink Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Ryan, and today I'm joined by my guest, Sandra Byrne. Sandra is a senior manager for Lush Cosmetics, a bath, body, skin and hair company devoted to creating fresh, low-waste and cruelty-free products. With over 900 stores worldwide, Lush is globally recognized brand and a fan favorite among millennial and Gen Z consumers. Sandra has worked for Lush for nearly 18 years and is the store manager of the world's largest Lush shop in Liverpool, UK. An integral partner for community, Sandra is a passionate leader and was listed as one of the most 100 influential people across Merseyside in 2020. Sandra, hello, good afternoon, good morning.
2: Hi Shannon, it's super exciting to be here, thank you for having me. So as you said, it started like 18 years ago. Um, I'd already been in retail for quite a few years then. Um, I was working in Body Shop at the time. Um, Great company, enjoying my job, was management in Body Shop. Never was looking for another opportunity. Back then, 18 years ago, how you would advertise for a job vacancy would be in the local newspaper not like nowadays um so yeah my husband had actually seen it and I went for the job and I opened the first love shop in um Liverpool on the high street tiny little shop honestly it was so small um and I was just overwhelmed with how the city responded to it you know the city just for a new brand being right there and the, the people to just keep coming I knew I had to do something to keep them excited as well. I almost wanted to give back and say, thank you. You know, thank you for coming in and uh, buying our products. And thank you for um, keep shopping with us. So um, in this tiny little shop, I wanted to just be the most exciting on the high street. So you never knew whether you were going to come in on a Saturday to Narnia and you were going to be greeted by Mm -hmm. Mr. Tumnus and have a hot chocolate or was it going to be the Wizard of Oz? You know, there was always something exciting going on. But then you could come on a Tuesday and the whole shop would be a spa. We would have these two wicker shades longs and we would do hand and arm massages and mini facials and offer fresh fruit platters. I mean, when I look back and think of it, it was it was highly amusing, but the, the customers, they loved it. So I remember just having an epiphany and thinking, I want to do, I want to expand my career. I need to go bigger. I'm a firm believer in when you want something, to really study for it, to work for it, then go for it. So instead of just going to the directors and saying, oh, come on, Liverpool needs a bigger shop." I decided I wanted to be a therapist. So I went to school again. I trained to be a therapist, got lots of qualifications. And then I wanted to open a spa. So we only had a couple of spas at the time. It was qu- quite new to Lush having a spa. So it wasn't an easy transition, you know, to get everybody to agree, why Liverpool? But we did. We I found a location in the city we opened the spa, and at the time, it was the biggest list shop in the world. It's by no means as big as what we're in now, but it was the biggest little shop then. It had a spa and quite a big shop floor, and we had some great times in there. Again, the spa expanded. We um, would do hem parties. The business was really thriving. And again, it got to that point in my career. I was like, okay, I'm going to look for another another premises. And um, there was a really large retailer on Liverpool's High Street. It was still retailing at the time. Nobody knew that this retailer was maybe in a bit of trouble. But I thought, I'm going to get in there first. This is a prime location and I want it. So I went to my directors, told them about this location And at first, everyone was like, we've never done anything of that scale. At this point, our flagship store, Oxford Street, had opened and the Liverpool store I wanted was four and a half times bigger than that. So Mm. what sense would it make to make a shop in Liverpool bigger than our capital city? It took a while. We were only going to take part of the building at one point. But we didn't, we took the whole building, and now we have a cosmetic department store all owned by Lush, um, all of new experiences inside, and um it just keeps growing. Yeah.
1: All right, so let's 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 dive into this then because I think Sandra, you really you hit on some really interesting parts of the conversation that I think we our listeners would really like to drill down on. And one of the ones that really interests me is. Is you know the, this interaction or intersection of the physical world and the digital world, and that we seem to always overcorrect one way or the other. Uh, as a sort of steely-eyed veteran of the world of digital, I remember back in the you know the 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 late. 90s early 2000 when brick and mortar were going to go away and it was all digital and then we swung back the other way and it became you know physical presence was the thing that was going to make it different now we're back to the metaverse and it's all what's the difference that you see between the interaction of the physical world and the digital world and how that ties into your perspective of retail
2: oh great question it's something, when we opened our doors, even after COVID, when people were still frightened to come out, the staff could have even been um, a bit nervous being on the shop floor. We made it right from that, that moment that we weren't going to just be a wallflower, that we were gonna come out with a bang. You know, We were going to create the excitement on the high street. What was always in our thoughts was, what can we do that you cannot get on the internet? What can we do that you just can't go on to? even um, the Lush page and get your bath bomb sent? I know I needed to have people talking about me and I had to have the best experience to bring people back to the high street. So right away, we, um, you know, as crazy as we are, we had a 30 foot marble run so it went two stories high this is inside the shop so as you walked into the shop we have like a mezzanine. it went from the first floor all the way down to the ground floor so you would go up you'd put a bath bomb down and it would roll around right around this marble run and end up in a vat as you w- were walking through I mean people would just walk past and be like what is going on in there and it'd bring the foot fall in and that was one of my um my directions right from the start was, let's not survive. Let's make sure we're thriving. So we started off. Like the with ultimate
1: like- chocolate fountain at a wedding. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. you want people talking about you. That's yeah. what you want. You need the public to be excited, to want to come and visit. So that was one of the things we did. We then, we've got a top floor. We hosted, so Liverpool um, has one of the largest um, art installations that happens every two years. It's called the Liverpool Biennial. Mm. And we hosted five of pieces of work on our top floor. So right away, it was all about working with the community, having something where people wanted to come out for again, and also having an art installation inside retail. It's you know it's so unusual at the same time. So all of these visitors that maybe wouldn't normally shop in Lush, they got to know us as well. Yeah, that interaction.
1: It's interesting because I think one of the things that I've witnessed in working with my clients in retail is this shift that's happened. And, you know, Julia, you and I have talked about this before on the program where, you know, the the physical store used to be essentially um, dedicated to the idea of inventory and transaction. It was literally a place where people would come to pick up the product. and you know as we started to evolve we recognized that that retail space needs to do more than just be a place of fulfillment and transaction it needs to be a place for community for experience to be able to i would suggest bring the joy of shopping back into the equation right where where it becomes a, a social thing with that that you do that you you browse and you discover as opposed to just a place where you go to fulfill something that you already know. And I think a lot of the tactics and ideas that you brought to the table are really about trying to widen that audience back into the, to the, to the floor plate uh, in a way that is exciting and delighting.
2: Absolutely. It was all about creating that um, community hub. You know, it wasn't all about what we could sell and how we could create sales. It was how we could put smiles on people's faces. How can we create an environment where people just wanted to come and hang out for a couple of hours? You know, what retail space does that? We wanted to create that. And even when I designed this shop, I designed it with lots of hubs, lots of sit-down areas where you could come and grab a coffee. You could have a perfume consul- consultation, which may take an hour. There's two little cafes in here. You know, you can just hang out and just enjoy being with people. So um, so COVID for us was not all doom and gloom. In fact, it was a time where we had to bring our genius to the table, and stop thinking about how can we get through this more than what can we do to elevate our business?
1: Yeah, no, it's great. It's fantastic. Sandra, were you able, or it might be too early yet, but has Lush been able to attract a new type of customer because of the way that you have approached the physical store?
2: Oh, absolutely, definitely. I mean, if you looked at my store, It's stunning. I will absolutely say it's the the most stunning, beautiful shop on the high street. And visitors have come from all over the world, from companies, just to come and see the store because there's been nothing done like it. So the store itself has definitely attracted a new customer. But I think the day and age that we're in now, we've evolved where customers want to buy into the brand for the ethics for the sustainability, not just about how beautiful the store is.
1: Well, and obviously that sustainability part is a big part of the message of Lush and and how it plays in. What what, What specifically are you guys doing these days to highlight that sustainability part of the conversation?
2: Oh, it's a constant conversation with all of the staff members on the shop floor. I mean, we're so proud of our ethics that we want to talk about it all the time. I would go back 18 years ago, people weren't really ready to listen to it. They just wanted a nice pink bath bomb. In Liverpool, it was all about the pink. They wanted a pink bath bomb to put in the bath and it smelled really nice. Now, they're really interested in where our ingredients come from, where our, even the packaging we use, you know, we have an amazing bring back your packaging scheme where you bring your, your your packaging back. It's almost like it's on a loan to you. You bring it back and you get money off your purchases. So that's definitely um, one of our highs at the moment.
1: You know, a question I I've asked a few times in, uh, my role here in 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 speaking through on some of the impacts of covid on retail in particular is that obviously lush offers a very high touch engaging product set and obviously some of the changes and accommodations needed to be made during the sort of the covid side of the equation what do you see as any benefits or challenges in the way that you had to go to market during that time that might still continue as we move into whatever variation of new normal we're going to live in?
2: Yes, it's definitely changed. So what we've taken from that is the customer changed. You know, the customer expected to come into Lush and it to be loud and energetic and um, there'll be lots of different demonstrations going on we had to reread the customer we had to slow down listen and observe what the customer wanted yeah, now over a week you're still going to get that store that that really high energy in the store but in the week we've de- we're definitely at a slower pace we're at a slower pace cuz the customer wanted that there's longer conversations going on There's sit down consultations there's Lots of information, what the customer wants now. They want experts where beforehand they wanted a product. It smelled nice. They want to take it home and use it. Now they want to know what is that product going to do for them. You, The customer's making you work harder. And so they should. And so yeah. they absolutely should. If someone's buying into you and buying into your brand, you should be working your little socks off to make, to make sure they're happy. Yeah, so yeah, we definitely changed. It's slower and um, more, it's high. I think we've gone to a higher level with our customer service because that's what they expect. One of my favorite
3: things about 2022 is that we are finally getting back to live person events. And one event Rethinker Retail is especially looking forward to this year is Shop Talk Europe taking place June 6 through 8 at Excel London, ShopTalk Europe is the new home for Europe's retail and grocery change makers. The event is expected to see over 2,500 decision-makers from leading retailers and brands. You'll also see startups, tech firms, investors, media like Rethink Retail, and analysts from around the world. Yes, we are all coming together to learn, network, collaborate, and evolve. The event will host more than 200 industry speakers, and if that wasn't enough to keep you busy... More than 250 companies will be showcasing the latest trends and innovations that are transforming the global retail sector. Qualifying retailers and brands can attend ShopTalk Europe for free and receive up to a 500 pound travel reimbursement through ShopTalk's world-renowned hosted meeting program. For more information to see the lineup, Or to register your company, ShopTalkEurope.com is the place to visit. Again, that is ShopTalkEurope.com. What were some of
1: the impacts on the acceleration, if you will, of the, the two or three year roadmap that Lush had in terms of rolling forward either with technology or with changes in terms of how you were going to evolve as a brand? that you think got accelerated because we went through this this period of intense change?
2: So as Lush as a brand or Lush Liverpool, I wouldn't go ahead with a three-year plan. I feel like everyone is evolving so much and we have got to study the customer. So we've put in a three-year plan in place. That's not really, you know, the customer may not want that in three years time. That's not what my city may want. So I'm very much about what we are doing now and how we can evolve that and how we can keep building on it. Um, so, yeah, my three year plans, I'm not into that far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I know the business here is doing great, but it needs to get to incredible. And I'm going to do that through service.
1: And the store itself, Sandra, in terms of, um, you know, you, you spoke already that there's these, you know, wonderful pockets where people can get together and have a coffee or sit down or, or, you know, just sort of enjoy being in the space. Is there, and did you have to add in a layer of of technology in terms of screens and things like that, that maybe weren't on the roadmap, but, but got accelerated as we went through the process?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. So we've got screens on all of our floors, because um, we have so many different experiences as well to offer. So on the second floor, we've got our spa here, so, if you were outside the spa on that floor, there's a whole screen of um, all the different treatments that to offer. And it's an absolute haven on the high street. You wouldn't even know it was there. Absolutely beautiful. Then, if you went down on the next floor, that is where um, all our parties are. So, again, the screens, we're using lots of QR codes now as well, which is yeah. really amazing. You know, we've elevated from, um, I remember back. 15 years ago and would have flyers and posters. Now you just have a, a QR code and you've got all your information there. So um yeah, again with our parties, all, all a screen letting you know all of the information, showing you a party of what that looks like. And then if you go onto the ground floor, we've got one of the only in Lush at the moment is a hair lab. It wouldn't be Lush if it wasn't a magical hairdresser's. <laughs> It's like an enchanted garden. It's full of hanging plants from the ceiling. Um, when you actually get your hair done, you're lying flat and the sink, there's lots of steam coming out and it's just pure magic. And then you go out with your hair looking fantastic. I mean, that's just the bonus. Um, and then um, we have a florist right at the front of the shop, all yep. ethically sourced flowers. So it's a complete department store. It's so magical. Yeah. And there's so much to do and find out that you don't want to leave.
1: But what's really interesting there, Sandra, is, uh, as you know, I'm not so sure anyone would want to put their money into a department store these days, because I think department stores are really struggling with their raison d'etre, if you will, with their, their reason for being, because... They, they, they're losing out in many ways to boutiques and other ones. But I think what's actually interesting about your concept that you've, you've spoken of here is, is the intensification of the service side of your business and that you are more than just a products company. And this transition to experiences and services as a differentiator for you is actually really fascinating as it will evolve the brand in new ways. Was that, how conscious a decision was it to do that? Or was it more serendipitous?
2: Oh, no, absolutely not. It was right at the top of my list is services. I always knew that if you wanted a bath bomb and you ordered it online, you were always going to have that same bath bomb in the end. But to have a service, what we could offer was always going to bring people coming into the high streets and I feel like you can see that the high street over years the decline is just coming and coming I I think the internet's a fantastic thing I think it's really amazing that I can order a book the night before and it's at my doorstep the next day fantastic but I'm still so passionate about people coming out and enjoying experiences um so when I was I was part of project managing the store I was it was right on the top of my lips that the experiences had to be phenomenal. And right now, in our top 10, five of my top 10 is not products. It's bar experiences and parties. So you can see yeah. it's agent what the customer wanted. What did my city want? They wanted the parties. They wanted the spa. And I needed to make sure that I was delivering something that was far beyond their wildest dreams that they could come in and think how and why wow have you done this?
1: And, and have you seen the associated pull through to product purchase?
2: Yes, yeah, definitely. Because, um, well, there's not many stores that have got a spa anyway. Right. But <laughs> the ones that have got a spa, you wouldn't really see those spa treatments that high up. It's really different to what the company is used to you know when you look at Liverpool sales it's not usually in line with what rest of the country is doing you know our top sellers will be completely different Liverpool's quite a glamorous city and for some reason they really like to buy pink things (laughs) so so at Christmas time we have a product called Snow Fairy and it is that Is that popular that we have a snow fairy floor? So the top floor at Christmas time is painted pink and it is dedicated to just snow fairy. So um, I feel like Liverpool is a whole country in itself. It can be very different.
1: (laughs) But it's interesting, though, Sandra, I think you hit on something that people, uh, I think, struggle with and certainly executives struggle with when they're embarking upon a new concept like you did, which is. The metrics needed to evaluate success or failure need to be different. That you can't look at the retail metrics that historically, you know, you know, uh dollars per square foot in different ways, and you know, all of that. That that you need to create a separate metric, set of metrics that are truly evaluating what the new concept is. Did you face resistance or do you still face resistance? associated to making sure that, you know, the store gets evaluated in the proper context?
2: Um, I definitely get hold accountable, comfortable. <laughs> but I think... My colleagues know I work in a completely different way to most people. Um, I'll put experiences, I'll put service. Even when I'm developing my staff, I put soft skills right at the top of there. So I definitely have a new way of working. So when it comes to measuring, I measure by how happy my customers are. I don't look at how much profit I've got. I look at how um, what the customers want, what the staff want. So I have a very different way of what, how Lush would measure things. Just recently, I had a business review and um, it would be all about us. What can we do to elevate our communities? What can we do f- to spread the kindness? Where I think in a normal business review, it might be, oh, here's my predictions for the next three years. <laughs> right. yeah, so Here's what's
1: so going, going on the end, cap. Yes. Yeah. yes, absolutely. <laughs> Great. And let's let's pull out the crystal ball for a few minutes, Sandra. What's next? What, what should visitors to the high street in Liverpool expect to see at the store in the next 12 to 24 months without giving away too many trade secrets?
2: Um, well, they're always going to expect to be surprised. Absolutely. So if you came in the store, for instance, next Saturday, you might be greeted. By drag queens holding a drag brunch, it's a whole Alice in Wonderland theme. So we have a whole floor of Alice in Wonderland, hosted by drag queens. I mean, what more can you want? <laughs> and then going into Easter, we'll turn that floor into just entertainment for children. You know, you can come, you can make a bath bomb, you can be uh, go down the rabbit hole with the white rabbit. So lots cool. of fun theater stuff this weekend. It's a whole. Um, it's a cinema. The whole top floor for three nights is a cinema. We've collaborated with a local cinema here, an independent cinema. And um, for three nights, they will show independent movies and um, there'll be food and drink as well. So there'll there'll always be something fun going on in the shop. You can always guarantee that. I always want the customer to come in and think, Wow, this is incredible! The service is amazing. The shop is beautiful. Then I want the high street, the people of the high street, the businesses to come in and say, "How have you done this? How have you got the service that good? How do you just keep that interaction with the community?" And then I want to be able to support and show people how to do it and keep our high streets
1: alive. I did. Uh, I need to ask a follow-up question because. You know, it's very analogous to the idea of you're running a theater, right? And every few weeks you rotate through a new show in the theater. Um, You've got front of house and back of house, and you need to make sure that they both work in, you know, uh, perfect orchestration. One of the challenges there, though, is your people. How do you ensure you have the staff that is able to be flexible enough to be able to respond? well to the different scenarios that that the team is planning?
2: Oh, Shannon, we have the most fantastic team and they're used to me, which is the (laughs) the really good thing. They know that, you know, they may walk into a theatre, they may walk into, let's just give great customer service and talk about skincare today. It's how you hire. You hire great people and then you treat them well. I'm a believer that you put the team, your people in the front, in the center of everything. Then they treat your customers how you want them to be treated. So I don't put the customer right in the center. It's all about the people. So we will look at their development, making sure that, you know, they're they're on the right track. Even, you know, making sure if it's a few days before payday, have we got a nice hot lunch for them? Getting to know them, knowing what their skills are, knowing what their talents are. I have built this business and I say I've built this business, but I haven't. That's an absolute lie. I built a team around me and we keep building a business together and we're all happy to be here. And that's why it's such a great environment to work in.
1: I think that uh, your staff is uh, should be very grateful to have you as a leader in that equation. The Thank you. The kindness. And the empathy and the consideration that you show even in this short interaction towards your staff and what you're doing, I think, uh, speaks volume to the type of leader you are. So congratulations on that.
2: Well, thank you, Shannon. That means a lot.
1: Sandra, it was a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me, Shannon. It was a wonderful experience. Pleasure.